welcome to the Super Jump Podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Wolf, and I'm here, as always, with my forever co-host, James Burns, Editor-in-Chief of Super Jump. James, what's going on? Uh, not much. We're recording on a different day today, um, which is exciting. Uh, and sometime, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> sometime this afternoon... It's always afternoon, exciting to do that. Yeah. Uh, sometime this afternoon, I'm going to dive into Mario Tennis Aces, which I'm pretty excited about. Ooh, I'm yeah, I'm really, really excited about that. I'm, I'm excited how interesting and full the story for this Mario Tennis game seems. Yeah, I've read a couple of things that are putting up some... Well, I don't know if I'd say <clears throat> warning flags, but just maybe it's not quite the same thing that people actually expected. But I've only played oh, really? the I only played the demo that came out. Um, you know, it was available for a single weekend a few weeks ago. I played that, and that was really good. So now I've got the full game, and um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Everything I've heard about the story of it is just kind of ridiculous to me like they they've introduced this new character called king basque and he's got this racket of power or something it's uh i want to know everything about it (laughs) i want to know all of the new mario lore this tennis game is introducing uh but until then this is the super jump podcast remember if you like the show if you uh have something you want to say about the show you know where to do that you can subscribe on whatever podcast catcher you're listening to and follow where appropriate and you can rate us wherever you want to as well itunes is certainly the big one of those to do if if you can rate us on itunes that's huge but let's just talk about what we're going to talk about today james uh we are now finally going to capsule off e3 what was e3 really no one's quite sure scientists have not submitted their data yet but we can be the first to do so. We, we can uh, give our f- final feelings on E3 and we can talk about what it was actually like on the show floor of E3. Because everything we've talked about so far has mostly been in the presentations of E3. Which I think a lot of people at home um, interpret as the entirety of E3. But it's a lot bigger than that. There's more stuff to do. Before we get into any of that, let's jump to the Playtime Report. <music> Here on the Playtime Report, we like to talk about everything that we've been playing since the last episode of E3. I'm sorry, not E3, the Super Jump podcast. (laughs) And James. Yes. You have been playing some weird stuff. (laughs) I have. Uh, None of my my normal go-to games are on here this time. I got a little bit more experimental, maybe, kind of. Um, I've been playing two games recently. One that is turning out to be kind of a, for me anyway, kind of a sleeper hit because it was something that I wanted to try, but I'm actually really, really enjoying it and I think I will probably finish it fairly soon. Um, I'm playing Vampire by Don't Nod Entertainment, who of course are the creators of Life is Strange. Um and you may have read about this or seen video about it. Um, it's it's quite different, I think, to, as far as I know, all of the other games they've made. Um, it is, wow. uh, it's a game set in 1918 London during the Spanish flu. 
And if essentially you play as a doctor who is a, um, ironically is a, is a blood specialist. He researches various rare blood diseases and that sort of thing. And that's pretty cute. That's a cute thing for it, them to do. It's a cute thing. And it, it plays into the narrative in a really interesting way. Uh, and, and this is not at all a spoiler because it's the premise of the game, but, um, right at the beginning, this character, Dr. Reed, is bitten by a vampire and becomes one himself. And what follows is really, really fascinating because uh, rather than just becoming a vampire and going around biting everybody else, he actually is horrified by his condition. Uh, He wants to find out if he can cure it, where does it come from, um, you know, he, he's trying to really solve the problem, so to speak. Um, and, and what's really fascinating about it is, you know, you end up in this situation where you, he, he knows, um, he knows the head of a major hospital in London. I think it's the Pembroke hospital, uh, who's aware of his condition. And basically you get offered a job to work at this hospital each you know, to do the night shift, quote unquote. So you've got a cover okay. for being a vampire. And and this kind of leads you on this great big journey throughout London where you're solving this central mystery around vampirism and where this infection came from. Um, and you're coming across, I think there's something like 60 characters um, across the game in different areas in London. The whole... London's sort of broken into different districts that each have their own status. Um, that sounds really cool. It is really interesting because I think for me, it's the first game I've played with kind of a morality system that really feels like it has a big impact, um, which I think is a big achievement <clears throat> because definitely you can effectively play the game as a good guy which i try which i'm trying to do where you don't ever bite anyone and you know other than fighting obvious bad guys or monsters um you you not only don't bite anyone but because you're a doctor you can actually craft treatments for different ailments and you can literally go around the city as a doctor healing people and helping them solve their problems which is really, really cool. And that contributes to like the overall health of a district. The catch is though, that doing all of that will help you sort of slowly level up. So like any kind of action RPG, you know, you've got different things that you can drop experience points into to make make them stronger, make yourself stronger. But it's fairly slow and you'll get to a point in the game, or at least I did where you start fighting enemies and bosses that are many levels higher than you and it starts getting really, really tough. The way that you get a lot of experience and level up quickly is if you bite uh, an NPC in the game. Gotcha. And doing That's so cool. that kills them. That makes it them. seem so like the, the real act of vampirism. Yeah, it, that's like right. a real drive for you, the player, not just you, the character. Exactly. That's exactly right. And, and it's That's really, cool. it's really harrowing because, um, you know, you have to decide 
I got to a point where I felt I needed to do this. I just wasn't getting anywhere. And it was really tough to decide who to sacrifice because when you do, they're gone forever. And not only are they gone forever, but when you go to sleep during the day and you, you know, you wake up the next night, that's the period where you actually level up and allocate experience points and that sort of thing. You wake up the next night and this status screen comes up and it actually shows the impact of what you've done to the district in question. And it can be anything from that person had relatives who have now become terrified and sick. Um, it can lead to other events in the world that, you know, things can spiral out of control. Uh, the media, the local newspaper might write articles about it. It, it can create these chain reactions that you didn't expect. Um, and so that makes every single decision about killing an NPC very, very consequential uh, to the gameplay and very emotional as well. So it's really interesting. I, I don't really think I've played anything like it before. That sounds really intriguing. Yeah. This kind of went under the radar a lot. Like, this was not very talked about. No, and I, I feel like um, a lot of the reviews have... Where they've criticized it are kind of two areas. One is around performance, and another is um, around combat. And I have to admit, other than a couple of loading screens that have been a bit long, I haven't noticed much in the way of performance issues. Um, I'm playing on PS4 Pro, but I don't know if it's been optimized for that at all. Um, as for combat, uh, the combat over time <clears throat> probably gets a little bit repetitive, but it feels good. So the controls are really, really tight. Um, and you do have a few options around, you know, you've got your kind of melee combat. Uh, you can have a, a side weapon, like a sidearm that's ranged, and you can use vampire powers as well, some of which are really, really cool. Um, so, you know, although the combat gets a bit repetitive, I, on the other hand, I would say there's so much to this game in terms of story and there are some brilliant, brilliant characters, fantastic writing. Um, apparently the team at Don't Nod did a lot of research on 1918 London and, and the Spanish flu outbreak. So a lot of what you see in the game, a lot of the context around it is very <clears throat> historically accurate, um, you know, and there's all sorts of other stuff going on. There's one district where there's a woman you hear her in the distance, she's on a street corner chanting. And when you go up to her, she's actually in the suffragette movement and she tells you all about that. And she's not just standing there repeating the same thing. She actually kind of moves around the district and she, if you sit there and listen to her, she talks about a lot of different topics. So there's a lot of richness to the characters and to the world um, that I'm really enjoying. I'm, you sold me. I'm, I'm there. <laughs> I, 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 I really think wasn't like thinking it. about this game at all. Yeah. Now I am. Mm. It's very cool. Um, what's this, what's this other game you have here? 
So the other one I haven't played very much of yet. Um, it's called Onrush. Uh, it's made by Codemasters, but specifically it's made by a group of devs who were hired by Codemasters who used to work at Evolution Studios. And Evolution... What's something they've done? They were responsible for the Motorstorm franchise. Oh, okay. Um, and so this game, Onrush probably fairly has been compared a lot to Motorstorm. Um, but this is also a game that's like nothing else I've ever played. In fact, I am almost wondering if these guys have invented a new genre here because it's a driving game and it's like a crazy Motorstorm style driving game where, you know, you're smashing into other vehicles and you're driving cross country and it's really crazy. But there's no racing. So there's no finish line. There's no first place, second place, nothing like that. Instead, when you drop into the, the game world, you know, you've chosen a particular vehicle and you drop into the game, you are on a team and there's a orange and a blue team. And the way I would describe it is it's like if you mixed Overwatch with driving, that's what Onrush is. So that's, wow, okay. <laughs> it's really weird. So there are different game modes. Um and it is like a hero shooter in the sense that each vehicle is like a hero, so it has its own special powers, its own stats, that sort of thing. Um and when you drop into when you drop into the game, um you basically play different modes and ultimately what you're trying to do is get more points than the other team within a time limit. The way that you get other points varies depending on mode. So one mode might be about getting the most points by destroying as many vehicles as you can, um, which is effectively is like killing other players. Um, mm -hmm. And there's this other mode that there's a ton of them, but there's this other mode I really like where it's like capture the flag combined with racing. So this big circular kind of neon zone marker appears on the map and it's always ahead of you as you're driving and the goal is to get as many of your team sitting inside that zone for however many seconds 30 seconds or whatever it is to get a point um and you know so within the time limit you're trying to get the most points um as I say, I haven't played much of it. It's really different and really interesting and really worth a look. The only thing is I I don't know at the moment how much staying power it will have. Okay, um, yeah, I think that's fair with that kind of game. Yeah, uh, but, you know, worth checking out if you're in, especially if you're into Motorstorm, I think. Okay, mm. um, I have one thing I've been playing since the last time that doesn't have anything to do with E3. Hmm. Um, even though it kind of does, and that's Pokemon Go. Uh, I've been playing Pokemon Go. I got back into it. I think we, uh, we've already talked about this, but recently there was an event in Pokemon Go called Community Day, and that's when a rare Pokemon, uh, this time it was Larvitar for the month of June, it's something that's usually pretty rare, becomes incredibly common for just a three-hour span of time. Hmm. So it's usually on a Saturday. You go there, uh, go to wherever you want, usually like a park, because you want to do this with other people in the community. It's yeah. just more fun that way. Mm. Uh, 
Uh, and th there might be more spawns, depending on how many people are there. And just for those three hours, there will be an insane amount of this one really, really rare Pokemon. And uh, just for those three hours, that Pokemon has its shiny form introduced you can if you're lucky enough to get one of those you can you can get your first shiny of that pokemon mm -hmm. and if you evolve it as much as you can it will learn a secret ability that it normally can't learn otherwise so this larvitar if you evolve it into a tyranitar within this three hour window it would learn smackdown which combined with its stats make it just the one of the best pokemon in the game mm -hmm. bar none yeah. So I expected, hey, there might be some people at this community day. They they might actually want to play it. James, in in my small town of Ventura, California, there were hundreds of people at the harbor playing Pokemon Go all together. Wow. It was it was crazy. I'll I'll have to send you pictures at some point because they were all looking down at their phone. Two years after the game supposedly yeah. died, it's it's huge. It's still huge. That's in that's incredible because it is one of those things where you know it, there was this initial craze that everybody knew about. I mean, here in Melbourne, I remember going out into the city one day, not even thinking about it, and all over the place there were groups of people hunting Pokemon like it was so crazy. And right. you know, since then it and it obviously went through that period. I think it went through a period where it really um, died down quite a lot. But you're saying. It's, it sounds like there's a bit of a resurgence happening at the moment. Well, yeah, I, I believe that a lot of people are getting back into it, and I have to believe this because this is what I'm doing. A lot of people are getting back into it because of the news of Pokemon Let's Go mm. and how if you do well and you are active in Go, you can send some of your stuff, some of your Pokemon, to the main game and and help yourself with it. Yeah. Um, now, the the weird twist is that everything I've heard about Let's Go... I'm just liking a little bit less and less. While the game I thought I did not like, which is Pokemon Go, <laughs> uh, it's changed so much yeah. in that in those two years that I'm now a huge fan of Pokemon Go. Um, my my feelings on it before were like, it's fun that we're all doing this together, and I like Pokemon as a construct, but this game itself is is nothing. And now there's so many things that you can do in it, and the communities. It really didn't die that much. I mean, it's it's obviously not like any day of the week you can just go out to any part of the city and find people doing it. But on, on certain important days and important events, you can find tons of people. Yeah. And the world is constantly changing. They just uh, switched out the legendary Pokemon that you can get for beating a, a major raid. So it used to be Kyogre. Now it's Regiice. I don't know if I like Regiice that much. It's kind of weird. But it you gotta get it. It's time to get it. Um, okay, so that's Pokemon Go. And we're skipping the newsy nibble because E3 happened. You totally know all the news already. <laughs> Let's go to buying some real-life loot boxes at, of Overwatch merch at Hot Topic. Okay, so E3 came and now it's gone. Uh, all we have to remember it are like 70 different trailers of Smash Brothers focusing on different characters on YouTube <laughs> that I've watched maybe three times each. Yeah. Because that's something <clears throat> I've taken to doing. Um, 
what'd you think? Just overall, what's going on with E3? How'd you how'd you like it this year? Um, I I thought it was great. Um, I the only reason I'm hesitating is because I think <clears throat> I think that E3 is very different depending on how you approach it. So, um, you know, now I've had the experience of being, uh, at least from a game journalism perspective, from being, you know, at home reporting on it from a distance, doing everything remotely versus last year where I was there on the show floor. And it's such a different experience. Um, For me, um, I think as great as the atmosphere is and as great as it, as great as it is to actually be there um there is a bit of an advantage to actually being at home and just watching all the streams absolutely um, yeah I, I have to agree <laughs> there were things that people were telling me about e3 as i was at e3 yeah that i just had no idea about yeah it's sort of like um i mean i i felt last year it's sort of like being in the middle of a, a hurricane or something it's that there's so much going on around you and so much of your your time and energy is sort of focused on the actual logistics of okay how do i get around where do i have to go to next you know just the actual Absolutely. navigation between booths cuz it is so crowded um and actually i'm wondering as i say that i'm wondering if they i don't know if you know this or not um we know that this year they changed the configuration slightly where they had a period of time, I think, in the morning that was media only. Is that right? Yes, for the Tuesday and Wednesday, not all three days. Not all three days. Tuesday and Wednesday yeah. of the show floor, uh, the first three hours of the day were media only. And then they invited everyone in. Thursday was everyone the whole time. Okay. And I, uh, I like this solution. It's not perfect. I don't know if it's ever going to be perfect as long as there's people at what is supposed to be a trade show that are from the general public. Um, I I love that they're able to get the chance to be there. I love that they're able to hang out and see what E3 is because I, I obviously wanted to for a really long time before I got to go. Mm. And it, it's cool that people are getting that experience, but... I mean, there are jobs that need to be done, and sometimes it's just nearly impossible to actually go ahead and do those jobs. Yeah, and I remember, I'd be really interested to know what it was like for people this year who went as non-media, because when I went last year, I just remember thinking to myself, it it was so crowded that it was crowded to a completely ridiculous degree where even moving from one booth to the next sometimes took a really long time because you were, you were literally shoulder to shoulder with all the other people in the crowd. And one thing that I was hearing over and over again last year was people would go to line up for a game they wanted to play. And in a lot of cases, people were in lines for crazy amounts of time, like three or four hours in some cases. And so, yes, yeah, yeah, you know, even if you went for three days, which a lot of people can't, you know, they've got other jobs to do and whatever. 
um, even if you went for all three days, maybe, maybe you got to play two, if you're really lucky, three games in a whole day. Um, and because it is a trade show, or at least historically it's been a trade show, the other thing is last year there weren't, there was nothing else to do other than wait in line for games. So it's not like packs or something where, you know, they've got the big booths, but they've also got places where you can play all old arcade games or you can play tabletop games or there's big right, areas right, right. where you can buy merchandise. Like they didn't have any of that. So I remember last year just noticing people's facial expressions and thinking, I think a lot of people are actually feeling like they probably wasted their money, frankly. <laughs> I, I think last year that was definitely true. This year it was better with the uh, with the people being spread out over time during mm. the day and over space as well. Something that is that is interesting and I'm not, I'm not sure how much publicity this got. Mm. All of Microsoft, all of the entire Xbox booth was in a different building altogether. Yeah. Uh, it was at the Microsoft Theater now, uh, which makes sense <laughs> considering that they are <laughs> Microsoft. Mm. But they uh, they are usually in the same hall as Nintendo and Sony. Yes. Last year, I believe they weren't, but usually they are. Yeah. And that would that would mean that hall is extremely crowded. Um, that's one of the big three out of the way, so that's uh, a little bit helpful. I want to talk about my favorite part of E3, though. Every year, my favorite part of E3 is Indiecade. Yeah. It is a large booth full of many different games and th this is this is much different from what you usually see in the the big guys like sony capcom square enix and and nintendo they all have really big booths for one game usually uh with a bunch of different setups to get people through the line faster indicate doesn't have that idea because there's almost no expectation of what's going to show up there these are all brand new, independently developed games with really small development teams and really small marketing budgets. So they just have like one person standing next to a computer who will look at the people walking by and say like, please play, please play this game. I worked really hard on it and I love it. And I will absolutely be that person every time. Yeah. Uh, I, I love playing those games because they are they're completely like nothing else i've played at the show mm. i began my first day at e3 i think the first thing i played was mario tennis aces which by the way is <laughs> that demo was out already um hmm. i didn't need to do that but <laughs> <laughs> at just going from the long line into an into a nintendo booth uh from that into indicate was so great the first yeah. thing I played was a game called From Ivan. Mm -hmm. From Ivan is a game where you play as someone who just got a job in a PR department of this company. <laughs> and your job is to send appropriate greeting cards to people. Like, that's <laughs> it. That's the whole thing. Um, if One of the ones I remember was someone someone got sick and uh you needed to send a corporate pretty much hallmark greeting card over to them uh 
and and you had a few options one of them was like hang in there bucky and it had a picture of a cat or something cute so you had a cute option you had please get well soon everyone here is thinking of you a very formal option and then there's like an ironic option like hey don't get me sick with your with all your germs gross and (laughs) you could uh you could do anything i obviously picked the the one that i said last uh <laughs> because i wanted to see how that would go yeah. and the person died so like oh my I got god a letter back saying yeah um i'm glad they didn't get you sick with all of their gross germs but if you want to come to the funeral oh oh my jerk. god <laughs> that's yeah all the fuss i just made about the morality system in vampire i i think that game just trumps it wow <laughs> Yeah, that was great. And uh, what's especially interesting about that game is that game is made by a USC professor who she she was telling me all about her her uh, her like classes and and all of the projects they do at USC. Mm. Um, I, I wanted to check in with her later and see if there's any way that Super Jump can work with one of those classes to to cover student projects and and uh the things coming out of her programs because it sounded super interesting and yeah. that's just one of the things it indicated awesome. all of that stuff is interesting yeah. uh, a big trend this year and I, i'm sure they weren't coordinating this this is just something that happened was vr escape rooms so okay. um escape rooms in general real life escape rooms are getting more and more popular mm. And just solving riddles to find keys to get out of rooms and stuff. That translates really well to VR. So there was one called Anderson Game mm-hmm. uh, that I didn't get to play, but I got to watch. And it was it was just interesting looking at... Uh, you were stuck in an elevator, kind of. Uh, and you, just, you had a filing cabinet in there, and that had all of the information you needed to get out. Uh, there were was, there was some others. One of, one of the biggest takeaways from indicate one of the things i'm most excited to see how this turns out is called tendar it's like tender but ar because mm-hmm. it's ar yeah um the idea is that it's going to be a phone app and it's actually coming out later this year i think in the fall is what they said for a, ma- a mass audience you get this little fish and this little fish feeds on human emotions and what you do is, it's almost like Pokemon Go, where you have to go out in the real world and use your AR game to find Pokemon where some Pokemon are supposedly hiding. But instead of finding something fictional, you just find faces. And it'll tell if a face is smiling or frowning or, like, neutral. Uh, it just wants all those emotions. So you're just out shoving your phone camera everywhere it's strangers which makes me a little bit nervous because the way they've explained it there's like there's no possible way that this could be recording like footage of you and then sending it to the the government or whatever but i'm sure that might be a contentious thing later on when this gets bigger and i think it will get bigger because it's such a fun idea um yeah and even if even if you even if it's not doing that at all i think um if you're on the other end, like if a stranger holds up their phone and you you hear the camera shutter, yeah, that, that's a bit creepy. Yeah, we were playing it at E3 and just there's a lot of people walking by in really close quarters. So I think they kind of got that it was probably a game or at least I'm getting footage of a thing I'm allowed to get footage for. Yeah. Um, 
So that was fine. But even then, I felt like I shouldn't. (laughs) I shouldn't hold this camera to your face, probably. Yeah, it's like a really cute crepe simulator kind of. Yeah, it it was cool though. Uh, Their their demo itself was uh, a demo specifically made for trade shows, Mm. which is I love that when it happens. it it's... was multiplayer, so the camera had two faces on it at once. I would hold one side of the phone, and the developer of the game, or one of the developers of the game, held the other side of the phone, and uh, we would do like a compatibility test in order to generate our specific fish that, <laughs> like, yeah, that was cool. That's, I like very, that. that's a cool idea, yeah. Yeah. Um couple more things I want to talk about. I played a game called Desert Child. Desert Child is a biking game. It reminds me a lot of the section in Battletoads where you're driving a bike through through the turbo tunnel and you're just constantly hitting things and probably game, ga- uh, game overing constantly because it's Battletoads and very hard. But mm-hmm. it's less hard than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this game... It has, like, a town in it. It has a whole currency life simulator. You can buy new bikes and buy food for yourself to keep yourself sustained and happy. And it's coming to all major consoles, including Switch, later this year as well. A lot of these were were interesting because uh, at E3, you don't get a whole lot of things that's coming out, like, yeah, just in a month. Or um, it's already out with some of these. Yeah, but that was cool to see that. Um, two more things from Indiecade before I I put all these business cards I'm using to remind me, myself of what I saw away. Uh, one of them was called Meet Me in the Garden. It was. Have you played a uh, Legend of Zelda Four Swords? Uh oh, briefly. Yeah. Yeah, the multiplayer. Yes. One. Yep. So Meet Me in the Garden kind of works like Four Swords a little bit, mm. where there was a curtain dividing the left and right uh, side of a computer screen. Mm-hmm. I played on one side, and my partner played on the other side. And we just... We uh, had text appear to us, and it would say things like, Now, you have to read this to your partner. And I was like, Do you want to join the orchestra? Despite the fact that my side of the screen with my character had nothing to do with an orchestra, and I thought for sure they would think, I don't know what that means. Um, she was like, yeah, let's join the orchestra. And I was like, oh, okay, I know how you can do that, but sure. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and it was a lot of stuff like that. Like, we don't know we're helping each other, but we're, we're helping each other get past roadblocks in each of our games. And finally, we would meet each other in the garden as the uh, as that... Uh, the title of the game implied and it was a really cool idea that's already on uh itch.io if you want to just go to meet me in the the garden if you want to play that if that sounds interesting to you and like a friend i'm sure that will i'm I'm sure that'll be fun to play because i thought it was fun to play yeah Uh, i love that idea side note i uh i got the opportunity my partner with that game was actually simone de rochefort who writes for polygon.com uh, mm-hmm. just by happenstance. I'm a fan of her work, so that was cool. Awesome. Yeah. Last game I want to talk about with Indicate is called The Ideal Meal. Indicate has a lot of what I will call non-video games, in, uh, in addition to video games. Mm. 
the ideal meal is one of those such non-video games. You have huge, um, I, I mean, they are walking sticks. You have, everyone has two walking sticks, mm. but you were to use them like chopsticks. And it was me, it was Heil from DK Vine and our friend Tony, who happened to show up. Um, we all played the ideal meal together. We used these giant, like, sticks that were taller than us to pick up these giant plush or wooden or like plastic approximations of things that you would put in a bowl of ramen Mm. Uh, and everything that you had to you had to do like special activities in order to pick this stuff up and be allowed to put it in the bowl like toss it up and then catch it uh three times on the chopsticks without it falling onto the ground (laughs) or walk over while crouching and it, it felt very much like an improvised like camp game from when you were five yeah but at the same time we were doing this in the middle of e3 and everyone was like walking by with trying to rush to appointments and stuff and thankfully we were between appointments at this point so i i I just thought it was really fun i i love that part (laughs) of e3 i love uh i love seeing all those different things it's a lot of stuff you just won't see on the rest of the floor so that is that is indicate I would absolutely recommend if you are going to E3 in the future and you find yourself either between appointments or maybe you don't have any appointments and you just don't want to get in a line for two hours, I, I get you. I sympathize. You should go to Indicate and play anything. That's uh, very So cool. next, yeah, next up is uh, I, I got some time in... Uh, I got some time in an appointment with 505 Games, and they've got some cool stuff coming out. The big one is Control, and we talked about that last week, I believe, right? Yes. Right. Uh, That game just looks really, really good. I'm so excited for it. You should be, too. They said that it's um, in launch for PC, PS4, and Xbox One, but this is one of those that I'm not sure I, I wouldn't put it past them this could be a sleeper next-gen game. Uh, and there's a lot of those, right? Yeah. Death, it, yeah. Death Stranding and Halo Infinite. These could be sleeper next-gens. Yeah, it, it definitely... Because um, I, I watched the trailer again last night, actually, and it really looks next-gen. Um, I mean, it, it looks like it's doing a hell of a lot with you know, with, with physics and with the actual, the way that the actual world around you changes. Um, it, it is, it just looks really, really impressive. Right. I'm, I'm sure the demo was running on a computer, but they didn't show that. They just showed yeah. the controller, which it was a PS4 controller, which like, cool, <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice attempt to make me think it's on PS4, but, uh, I mean, the game will be on PS4 or at least a PlayStation console at some point. But the version I saw with the graphics I saw it having, probably not. Mm. Um, They also had Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, uh, which is everyone's favorite Castlevania uh, clone from from Kickstarter. I shouldn't say clone because maybe that's uh, a little dismissive. It is from the original creator of Castlevania, and it looks like a very solid spiritual successor um are you excited about bloodstain i know there was that 8-bit bloodstain game they just put out i've yeah. been meaning to try that 
Yeah, I am. I um, I'm I have been at least in the past a big Castlevania fan, and the I've just been sad really about the lack of attention on Castlevania in well probably in a long time. I mean, I suppose there are people who are fans of the 3D Castlevania games, but none of them really worked for me. So um, I, I'm excited about a new 2D experience that is kind of, you know, true to the way the earlier 2D games felt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it definitely seems like straight out of PS1 era Castlevania mm. to me. I'm not the most well-read in my retro Castlevania knowledge, so... I'm sure there could have been like a lot of new stuff that I just wasn't picking up on, but it definitely seems to be that kind of game, which is very exciting for all those people that I know want that kind of game. And also from 505, I got I also got to play Indivisible, which is from the oh man, I, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the team, but they created uh, Skullgirls, the fighting game. Skullgirls is that the name? Yes. Uh, no? Uh, Lab Zero Games? Uh, I may I may need to look that up. <laughs> Hang on. Skullgirls. <laughs> I just Girls. had a look at it. Yeah. Yes. Skullgirls. Yeah, yes, yep. that, is, that is the name of the game. I, I psyched myself out. Um, <laughs> yeah, they are making a non-sequel to Skullgirls. It's a different game. It has a very similar art style because I believe they're the same like lead artist mm. on them. But this is an... This is an RPG that works like a fighting game. You have a you have a um a, a party of four characters and every character is mapped to one button. So you do go like you transition into battles and they're like turn-based battles, but uh when you actually want to attack, it's not necessarily turn-based, it's more like cooldown based. So you press the button corresponding to one of your fighters as soon as they're like able to attack again mm-hmm. and the rhythm of it kind of works out more like a fighting game or a, or a brawler than an rpg like a party-based rpg so that's interesting i'm i'm excited to see where that goes that has a really cool um a really cool world i i can't say much about it other than that so james let's talk about nintendo yes they're uh they're they're a pretty big company. <laughs> My mom knows who they are, which is a good sign for them. <laughs> yeah. That's a good barometer to know how big they yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. Um so 2 years ago was the beginning of Nintendo's I will call it a new approach to E3 where mm. you focus on one game more than anything else by a lot. Mm-hmm. And you design a lot of the booth around that game. Mm. This has its pros and cons. A lot of people expect like a big variety of things to come from Nintendo. And in the past, they've been known to do that. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember in E3 2010, there was Donkey Kong Country Returns, Metroid other M before we knew that wasn't going to be very good. Um, Kid Icarus Uprising, the 3DS itself, the remake of Ocarina of Time. Um, so many different games just coming out of that one E3. That was probably one of Nintendo's best E3 in, in recent memory. 
and they didn't quite get that this year. You know, they uh, they only got a few games other than their big game of the year, Super Smash Brothers. Last year it was Super Mario Odyssey. Year before Breath of the Wild, and they've they've decked out their booth with Super Smash Brothers theming. And I gotta say, James, I think this might have been better on paper than what they've actually done. Yeah. Um, the I don't know if you've seen pictures, but the Smash Brother TVs themselves, they were up on a battlefield. Like, it looked like Battlefield from Smash Brothers. It had the bricks, uh, like the brick floor, and it, there was a, a background of, like, a blue cloudy sky with other floating islands in, in the distance. That's cool, but Battlefield is not, like, an a notable iconic place in video games Mm. i guess people recognize it but just barely probably (laughs) um and then around the booth that because that was kind of small that's just like one line of tvs and that was where all the smash brothers was but everywhere else there were more games there were third parties there was mario tennis there was pokemon uh everywhere else in the booth they had glass containers like in a museum of special items that are associated with Smash Brothers characters. So Mario's hat was on a display case. Mm. And Donkey Kong's tie and Bayonetta's gun shoes and I think the Master Sword was there. Yeah. A lot of that kind of thing. Uh some some Pokéballs, although I'm not necessarily sure if that was for Pokémon Trainer or for the actual Pokemon game, but it was in the display case that all the other Smash stuff was using, so I am I think it was Pokemon Trainer, the mm-hmm. character. Um, that That's cool, but, like, in the past, they made it New Donk City. Like, it was New Donk City, Disneyland levels. And, you know, it's just a little bit of a step down. I think they <laughs> maybe thought that those display cases would make a bigger impact than they did. It's fine, though. I mean, you can't ask for that from, from E3. All everyone else is just like they just have their game, and and Nintendo is trying to do some Disneyland stuff. Yeah, I mean uh, that that's yeah that's a good point because I I never saw the Breath of the Wild display, but I really wish I had have seen that. Um, but the New Donk City one was it, and 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 I think it's it's important to say to anyone that hasn't seen it in person, it's it was like. Um, it was like going to a theme park, as in, you know, it wasn't just crappy cardboard cutouts. It was absolutely insanely detailed, you know, like they had the actual um, lampposts from the street that had right, the yeah. lit up question mark blocks. Um, the buildings were, were not just like flat images. They sort of had three-dimensional elements to them. I mean, they must have spent an absolute fortune putting that together. So, yeah. And then it, it was just gone. Yeah, <laughs> It was yeah. just gone forever. Yeah, and I wonder where, like, all of those props and stuff, I'm assuming a lot of the employees get to take those home. I'm wondering where they end up because um, when I did the the uh, media, the Nintendo media booth and I was playing Super Mario Odyssey, the... Nintendo employee that was standing with me was from Nintendo of America and we were just chatting about I I was talking to him about how cool I thought all the props were 
and we were chatting about how they made the booth. And he said, oh, yeah. He's like, I made a lot of those props. He's like, we've we've got people in, in NOA who are like crafty and, and do their own stuff. And he's like, yeah, a lot of us actually made a lot of that ourselves by hand. So they didn't just farm all of it out to different companies, which I just thought that was an interesting little side note. Yeah, just everyone that works at Nintendo just knows how to do everything, I guess. Yeah, yeah there was... Like, I don't know how to make a vinyl statue of a lamppost. <laughs> that's such... Yeah, <laughs> That's exactly. such specialized knowledge. <laughs> now, now, you... So, with Nintendo, because and I think this is also important to say, there are kind of two two distinct experiences, right? Because there's the... Right. There's the booth, which is where any everyone can line up to play a game, uh, potentially. And then there's the separate media booth or media center. That's correct. Um, so Nintendo's booth themselves, the one everyone is allowed to go into, only had three lines this year, which I thought was interesting. And I'm not sure how much time it saved it definitely didn't feel that much longer or anything but if you wanted to play pokemon let's go pikachu and eevee that was one line on its own mm-hmm. if you wanted to play smash brothers that's one line but you can skip it if you have a ticket and they put up links for uh tickets way earlier about the week before the actual event mm-hmm. so that was nice too um and then they had a third line that was for literally everything else they had. Just yeah. one line. And you would go into... Like, they, they started you at a station. The first thing you're going to play if you're in this line and you are going to play it is Mario Tennis. Mm. Uh, they would let you in and you would play three rounds of Mario Tennis and then give you this card that they called a gaming passport that you could use to go into the other area at their booth to play all of their third-party games. They, the, in the way they've classified it, cli- uh, classified it, I guess Mario Tennis counts as the third-party game. And compared to Smash and Pokemon, I get it. Mario Tennis is almost a third-party game. Yeah. But they had Fortnite. They had things that were already out for a while, like Fortnite and Dragon <laughs> Ball Fighters, yeah. And then, like, FIFA 19 was there. Stuff like that. But then they also had uh, a lot of indie games, like Overcooked 2 got to play that. Mm-hmm. Killer Queen Black got to play that. That's going to be huge. Get excited for Killer Queen Black. Um, and and Starlink. They, they got that from Ubisoft. Uh, the Switch version of Starlink was also there. Now, you probably didn't get nearly enough time with any of these games if you were um, public... Which is a, sh- a shame. Everyone should have enough time with these games. You're standing in these lines, and I think it's fine to stand in a, in a couple long lines, but you got to pick your battles. Mm-hmm. And if you stood in a line for like an hour, maybe an hour and a half possibly, to get into the third-party section of Nintendo, and then stood in another th- half-hour line to play Starlink after that, that is rough. Yeah. Um, if you can, try to make an appointment. Uh, I, I got an appointment, and later that week, I went into their, their media booth where I met with our Nintendo of Australia representative, and she helped me play pretty much as much as I want uh, as I wanted of any games that they had, which was mm. fantastic, um, because I wasn't going to stand in that Pokemon line, <laughs> and I really wanted to play Pokemon. 
Um, so from that, that that is where I got to spend the majority of the time that I played Smash during, and I also played Pokemon for the first time there. Mm-hmm. Um, that Pokemon demo turned out to be more of a Pokeball controller demo than an, a demo of the actual game. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking about this last week, how I sometimes you just have a bad demo. It I can't even tell if it's because the game is bad or because the the design of the demo is bad. This time I'm I'm leaning on the design of the demo not being completely successful in mm. showing off what the game can do. It was just a lot of okay, walk around, catch some Pokemon, and don't go anywhere too crazy. Uh <laughs> which is never a good sign. I think you want like a goal for your demo. Because they wouldn't let me finish the the Viridian Forest. They wouldn't let me actually like go to the next place. Um, yeah, yeah. It it it's weird giving the player only like a a slice of a vertical slice of your game. Um, that said, that that's a cool place. Uh, that is where if you're ever gonna see Reggie just walking around, sometimes Miyamoto's there, sometimes. Uh, Koizumi's there, just, you know, other important Nintendo people. They will be likely on the second floor of this media-only, appointment-only area. Mm. And uh, that that takes up a surprisingly large amount of space. Because space at E3 is so expensive. Yeah. Even for Nintendo, even for Sony. Uh, just having another thing that's almost 50% of the size of the original booth you had just for media and and just for like coffee pretty pretty much that's all they were using for it for it's just for coffee um <laughs> yeah that that surprised yeah. me too last year i i thought i'll you know i wasn't quite sure what to expect i thought oh maybe they'll have some rooms off to the side or something but you're right it's it's a whole other booth um that's that's set up in such a way that you know you're encouraged to you're you're really encouraged i think to take your time so i mean you you have a you have sort of an hour-long appointment i guess but um that's a pretty decent amount of time compared to obviously what you would get if you were just waiting in line and then playing a game where you get a couple of rounds of something um you know for smash brothers we I got the ticket as soon as I could over a week in advance uh, for just playing it regularly. Mm. And I played two rounds, and that was it. Yeah. For for that ticket. And that is something you really... Because you can't do more than one of those tickets with your... Um, it's tied to your E3 pass. So yeah. if, you on, if you only have one E3 pass, you can only have one t- uh, pass at Super Smash Brothers. You can only play it twice... That's like, that's four minutes. It they're two minute matches. Yeah. Um. That's that's just too rough. Mm. So yeah, I, I wonder if we should be on the offensive in demystifying E three, as to not make people want to go, because if you spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on travel and uh and housing, and then the ticket itself. And you get to play four minutes of Smash Brothers before it comes out. Like, yeah, I, maybe you had fun, but I can't imagine that being super worth it, right? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> that's really important. I think um, 
I mean, they're obviously still trying to work out this balance of trade show and public expo, which I don't know if they can really do unless they actually do something like they have a couple of days where the whole day is media and then they sort of extend the show, you know, and have three days, two or three days that are only public or something. Um, but I think there's a very, very big fundamental difference between a trade show like E3 and a gaming expo like PAX. Um, right. Totally, totally different things, different audiences. And it's got to be frustrating for both groups. Like it was frustrating for me last year as a media person. I I felt, I, I actually felt that um, if I hadn't have had any appointments last year, it would have really, frankly, been a bit of a waste of my time and money. Um, I wouldn't have been able to get what I needed from a media perspective. Um, sure. but I, but at the same time, you know, if I'd just gone in as a member of the public, uh, who just wanted to play some awesome games, I would have found it really frustrating because you couldn't even, let's say you're waiting in line for something. Um, there were some booths where they were pretty smart about putting big displays up outside. So you could at least watch, the latest trailers and, you know, like you could kind of be aware of what was going on and pass the time that way. But there were a lot of places where that wasn't the case. So you were just sort of there for hours. And as you say, you'd get a few minutes on something and then, you know, be booted out. Um, I think if, if you're in LA, if you live in LA and you can get the time and you're not too worried about, um, you know, you just want to go there for the atmosphere and everything. And there's a chance you might see something, then fine, go. But honestly, even if I was living in the States, I, I don't think I'd be jumping on a plane and and getting accommodation and doing all of that to go to E3 as a member of the public. I, I really wouldn't bother. You're, you've got so many awesome, awesome conventions over there um, that we're very jealous about here. Um, you, you know, you've got access to so much awesome stuff that right. there's, there's stuff that's way better than E3 for, for the public, I think. Yeah. Within, um, I, I was talking about, about this with someone at Rare and Rare was there only Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, all of the Microsoft's Microsoft stuff actually shut down before Thursday morning. Mm. Um, I, I asked them, Hey, what are you going to do? You have your E3 pass. Are you going to play the smash brothers or Spider-Man or what you, what you up to? And they said, actually, we're probably going to go to Disney. Um, they just <laughs> went to Disneyland. Yeah. That's, I think that's a good call <laughs> to be honest. Hell yeah. Yeah. And that's how I felt like once E3 was over, um, as you know, as I say, it was great, uh, because of the media appointments, but afterwards I was thinking, right. Time for Universal Studios. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, um, my, my, my group of friends, we were talking about what we most wanted to get out of E3. Mm. And yes, playing the, the games that we're excited for was big and important. And I wouldn't trade that. Mm. But I think it's the people the most. So if you're, if you're really set on going to E3 
I would recommend you structure your time around seeing the people that you most want to see. Yeah. Um, like, like developers. And if that's Miyamoto, understand that that will not happen. Like understand that <laughs> um, some of your goals in that regard will probably just be immediately slept, swept under the rug. This is not what E3 is for. Mm. Um, but if you, if you really like Sea of Thieves and you want to meet the uh, lead designers on, on that game, you can do that because I did that. And if you want to go to in- Indicate and just see what it looks like to be like a startup independent uh, game developer with, with just a lot of love and a lot of care put into one game for a while that no one else is really telling them to do like go to indicate mm. that and uh you'll you'll see if you just walk around I, I met some some people i usually just see on youtube I, I met uh the easy allies which i'm a huge fan of their their youtube channel and i met roger's base who i'm also a fan of a lot of different people yeah and that that is that is what e3 is for i, I think just really getting in there with the, the people in your community uh, with the people in your community, meeting them, seeing what the the state of gaming is more so than the state of individual games, mm. uh, that's that's where it's at. And speci- w- there's no better place to do that than the Sony booth. Take that person that said I couldn't do transitions very well in the emails. We read those. <laughs> um, so the Sony booth had Spider Man. Mm-hmm. And then some other stuff. <laughs> uh, they it, they didn't like decorate their booth for Spider Man like the Nintendo booth is usually decorated for their main game, but mm-hmm. just the size of the Spider Man booth versus everything else uh, was was pretty telling. Yeah, and in general, it, Sony will have a lot of different games, a, like a lot of different games you can play. Um, Microsoft will have a lot, a lot, a lot of different games you can play. This year was really light. Mm. I, I think that was the takeaway. Um, if you were at home watching the presentations and you thought, some of those big tent poles look great, Smash Brothers and Gears 5 and uh, Spider-Man, that's exciting. But, like... Where's the stuff that's coming out this year? I don't think Beyond Good and Evil is coming out this year. I don't think all of this other stuff is coming out this year. And where's the variety? Um, I can tell you as someone that was just looking at these games in physical form, represented by booths, you're right. Like, there wasn't that much stuff compared to previous years. Yeah. But Spider-Man was a very good video game. Uh, <laughs> it was worth checking out Spider-Man. I'm so excited for that game to come out. Um, man, I need to get a PS4. <laughs> I yeah, the the reasons to get one are adding up, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they are. They yeah. are. Um, Sony is like Nintendo in that they have a walled off media only room, mm-hmm. but interestingly enough, uh, theirs unless there there was like a different one I didn't see. Their main media only booth was actually just for anyone uh, international. Uh, which oh, okay. which I thought was a cool idea. So anyone that was from out of the country, uh, you can get in. You can you can play these games. Usually you'll have to make an appointment to to play those games, but it's something you can do on the day. Like just make an appointment for a couple of hours from now, and it'll be fine. Mm. Um, 
And and it, it's like that because if you're traveling from out of the country, you better play the games you want to play, right? Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So I slowed down those lines by being an American who happened to qualify. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so that is how I played Spider-Man. Got past that uh, larger line with that one. And mm. I also played uh, Derasane, which I talked about last time. A lot of stuff I talked about last time. Uh, just the the general vibe of Sony is that they, um, I think they're skewing much wider than they used to in recent years, like with Dreams and uh, Concrete Genie and Spider Man. Those are things that are are much more childish and much mm. more well, not child childish sounds bad, but like family friendly, I suppose. Bro- yeah, broader appeal. Mm. yeah broader appeal uh mm. you could you could put a like a child in front of that game and they'd be fine um that maybe you you might see from a nintendo or nintendo like developer but also <laughs> we have death stranding which is not that mm. and we have all of these other games which are not that uh all living in the same place uh i i think if i was to give an award for the most diverse booth at the show Sony definitely would get it. Um, yeah. Square Enix is a close second. They had a lot of weird stuff too. But, but yeah, I, I'm excited to see in in the future if Sony would like to feel a little less like if they'd like to be a little less cold at E3. Do you know what I mean? Does this yeah. correspond yeah, to you your mean. experience? Yeah, I mean they were. Last year, you know, Nintendo was was their usual selves where they were where just being near their booth was fun, you know, like the atmosphere was a lot of fun and it was very yeah. warm and welcoming. Microsoft last year were because they'd announced uh Xbox One X, they were really putting a lot of focus on that and they were they were like um their booth was like a, a live Michael Bay movie. Like it was, <laughs> it had giant, giant, massive screens hanging down from the ceiling with, you know, these gorgeous sort of promo displays and stuff for Xbox One X. So Microsoft, you were getting sunburnt from the screens. Um, <clears throat> so that in itself was impressive. Sony was, um, I remember thinking Sony was sort of oddly they felt sort of oddly bland and corporate, which they really didn't have to, because as you say, like they, they always have really, really cool stuff to show off and they always have really interesting exclusives as well. So for instance, um, I, I know the game is still a long way away, but even something like the last of us part two, you know, I can imagine them maybe, maybe it's next year. I don't know, but I can imagine them, you know, doing up their booth to look like, um, you know, a set from from within that game. Or, as you say, even Spider-Man this year, you would have thought that they would sort of do up the booth to look like New York City or something like that. So Yeah, that'd be great. It's I mean, they of... did a little bit of that immediately around the, the monitors, but not too much. Yeah. 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 So, I don't know, maybe they just... Maybe it just comes with the confidence of being number one in the industry. I don't know. You I know, like they, they don't have to bother. They, um, I've been going to E3 since 2015, and this is the fourth and fourth consecutive time I've seen them 
just have a giant blue wall and yeah just be a very clean corporate presence at e3 mm-hmm. um i i think they're they're gambling on establishing the playstation brand as world class where nintendo definitely feels more japanese sony is japanese but they they just have this in very global dry worldly presence that is from mm-hmm. everywhere in the world europe america japan mm-hmm. and it all kind of comes together and averages out into a blue wall <laughs> and uh and, and if if you are into that you think that's very classy but everyone at e3 is i think trying to be a little more formal than they need to be except for the people that absolutely aren't and to them i say you need to take a shower uh (laughs) there are some issues but for those that are trying to be more formal than they actually are you know it's it's e3 it's video games yeah yeah there is a there is a spectrum of you know yeah there are extremes on either side aren't there yeah Mm. uh for sure with that uh there were some other booths we saw uh there there were a lot of other games i've played um, but th- those were the highlights. That was our E3 wrap-up podcast. Who won E3, James? Oh, I always hate this question, but <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I have given it some thought. Um, I I think uh, I think probably Microsoft. Um, okay, I'm I'm coming from the same place. Yeah, I mean I. Again, to state the obvious, it it depends how you judge it. Um, But if I look at it from the point of view of especially the press conferences, um, although it's true that Microsoft, like from a pure gaming perspective, I was probably most excited by what Sony showed, really. Um, But I think... And although with Microsoft, what they showed, you know, the vast, vast majority of it was not exclusive to their platform. Um, But having said that, I just think they they pretty much nailed it because they had a mix of exclusive stuff um, and they had a lot of, you know, they, they kept having that world premiere thing pop up. So they were announcing a lot of stuff for the first time or they were showing footage of, of, of a lot of stuff for the first time. And frankly, I think any press conference that ends with, you know, like a hacking incident involving Cyberpunk 2077 pretty much has to <laughs> yeah. win by default. Like, how do you beat that? I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was, that was really good. Um, yeah. I think people were ready to say that Microsoft was nearly done with their consoles. Maybe one more round of consoles with my, with the Xbox brand, and then they'd have to stop and focus on software and maybe uh, make a Steam competitor or just try to be a bigger publisher on other pieces of hardware. Mm-hmm. And they were they were ready to consider the Xbox One the Dreamcast of Microsoft. And going into that press conference... I mean, that, that was what people were talking about. That was the attitude. And then Phil Spencer comes out and says, hey, we know that we've been seen as a lesser provider of first-party exclusive titles than our competitors. And everyone in the audience is like, yup. <laughs> like, yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, pretty authoritatively. We can like uh, we can like 
Halo and Gears and Forza and Rare stuff. Uh, but you you don't like you're not Nintendo. You're not Sony. And then they're like, yeah, we get it. So we doubled the size of our first party partnership base. And now we have five new, completely new first party developers that will be making stuff for us all the time from here on out. Ranging from indie developers like Ninja Theory and Compulsion Games to much more practiced uh, AAA people like Undead Studios and playground games which is rumored to make the next fable which is another ip they're bringing back from the dead uh and they're making a whole new studio themselves uh the initiative and i believe that's santa monica Mm -hmm. that's huge that's that's them saying yeah we're not even close to being done with the xbox brand of hardware the next Xbox, yeah, this one might be a wash. Maybe we'll end this with Gears 5 and say, yeah, Xbox One, that was rough. But they've put themselves with this E3 in a great position for the Xbox either 2 or 4, depending on how you count. Um, yeah, I, I think yeah. that's right. And And I don't know if they... I know they called this out in some cases, but some of the games that were announced... Um, at the Microsoft press conference that are multi-platform, um, I'm I'm assuming that a lot of those games will be uh, because of the timing, because the Xbox One X has been out for a little while now. I'm assuming a lot of those games will see Xbox One X specific enhancements. Oh yeah, um, and and I think that could be quite significant for some of those titles. I mean. Uh, I don't know when Cyberpunk 2077 is coming out. I don't know if it'll... I imagine it'll probably appear on both current and next-gen consoles. Yeah, that seems like one of those. I think it'll probably be both. Um, That said, it seems more 2020 than 2019. So it kind of depends on when those consoles come out. Yeah, um, but but there's some evidence, and and I think I... um, I think on our Super Jump Twitter account, I put up a, uh, I, I retweeted a video from Digital Foundry where they analyzed the trailer, and and it it seems pretty clear that what we saw in that trailer is at the very least is using real time assets, um, which is quite incredible. I think um, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that. So who knows what hardware it's running on, but. Um, you know, I can imagine when that game comes out, if it's out for current gen systems as well, um, if it's if the best experience you get with something that huge is on Xbox One X, I can imagine Microsoft really trumpeting that, and you know, right. I can imagine that being a big selling point. Um, and if that so, line of thinking continues on to their next console their their full sequel to the xbox one and there are xbox two enhanced enhanced like dlc patches for all these games as well um and and that if that console is more powerful than the playstation 5 and i i feel like that's what everyone's waiting on each company Mm. is just waiting on the other one to announce how powerful their next thing is going to be so they can just one-up it um because the Xbox, Microsoft definitely thought the Xbox One was going to be the most powerful console. And then the PS4 was more powerful than it. And, you know, that stung. And that, I think, 
lost them this console race because all of the other baggage with the Xbox One wasn't worth a less powerful console, right? Um, if, yeah, if Microsoft yeah. can continue being technologically superior, they I think they have it. I think they might have a huge advantage over Sony, and I think Sony's playing it too cool right now, too close to the chest. Yeah, I mean, I, I for me, it sort of comes back to... I don't think it's really a, a hardware power question at all unless they make a huge mistake like they did with the original Xbox One. That's where true. they, you know, they had this really unfocused, um, you know, they invested so heavily in Connect and it was very confusing strategy. Um, I think it really comes down to content and that was what I thought was so great about the announcement with the, the new studios, um, even though they didn't have anything to show really at this E3, I think there's now a reasonable expectation that at next E3, hopefully we'll start to see the results of, of, of those acquisitions and we'll start to sort of see a lot more original content coming to the platform, which is really awesome. Right, I think we'll see at next E3. I mean, this is really early to speculate like this, but I'm sure we'll see Ninja Theory's first Microsoft game. I think we'll see um, Playground's Fable game. I think we'll see a lot of that stuff. Mm. The thing with with this E3 that, that struck me as odd, and maybe the only reason I wouldn't say Microsoft authoritatively won, is that a lot of their showing at their presentation, including things like they showed Kingdom Hearts on that stage, they showed Jump Force, they showed The Division 2, they showed um, Sekiro, uh shadows die twice they showed Mm -hmm. a lot of things that i do not think people will play on microsoft consoles Mm. they showed a lot of things that i think are firmly in the wheelhouse of playstation and they it seemed like that they, they were banking on the fact like yeah maybe you used to play this on playstation but the xbox one x is the best place to play these games what do you think of that and they i don't think they'll care like just like you said i i think that you know games and catalog is much more important and and install base is much more important than power but in in winning that initial push that kind of informs the rest of that generation i do think power is important if that's the kind of console you're making obviously it's for something like switch not a th- not an issue not really what they're trying to do but you know for an everything box like xbox and playstation have turned into um you don't want to be the less powerful of these two things that do almost the same thing yeah and you've got to leverage you know you've got to you've got to have original content you've got to invest in that and and i know a few people at microsoft um a few people that have been senior in the xbox team over the years have talked about how that's kind of a constant discussion and debate within microsoft about how heavily they invest in that and the other thing is, um, and I don't know much about how Microsoft or Sony does this, but one thing Nintendo have been really successful at with Switch is their actual developer support program, um, you know, actually mm-hmm. working yes. directly with developers and saying, we will help you get this code running on our platform and we will, you know, so it's not just the tools, it's the expertise and and the support. And I feel like... Um, Microsoft yeah, Sony could is far be making... behind the other two console makers in that regard. 
Yeah, yeah. So I think you know, leaning into those things a lot more heavily is is will will be good for them. I I, I think if you were to sum up why Microsoft won the C three. I think the the soundbite you'd want is that Microsoft finally le- learned to leverage their biggest advantage over Sony and even Nintendo, which is that they are the fourth most wealthy company in the world, last time I checked, <laughs> and Sony and Nintendo are, like, maybe in the top 200. Mm. They, like, their amount of capital that they've just accumulated during the 90s when computers were only windows and nothing else and also new um is astounding and is nearly unparalleled only a few other companies in the world like apple have really gotten to that level um so things that seem like problems we're we're sitting here like man how is it, how is microsoft going to fix their exclu- uh, their exclusives problem they'll they'll just be like oh is that a problem okay we'll just buy five new studios that are only first party <laughs> microsoft developers now that yeah. was easy it that was less than a percent of a percent of our total wealth <laughs> mm. and we we just we snapped our fingers and it happened yeah um, throw some money around <laughs> yeah really throwing some money around trying to uh be the correct amount of meddling, which in cases like Ninja Theory seems to be no meddling. And yeah, it, it seems seems good like that. Uh, game of the show. <laughs> this is another painful question to answer. Another painful... Well, I have one more question. You can decide if you want to answer that one. Or was this a good E3 in comparison to other years? Which question would you like to tackle? Uh, I'll tackle the good E3 one just okay. quickly because I don't have that much to say about it. Um, I think it was a good E3. There have been good ones and average ones and probably some bad ones. Um, this year was good because, um, for me personally anyway, I got to see a lot of what I was hoping to see. And there's a lot to be excited about. You know, sometimes at E3... You know, there might be some really good stuff coming out within the next year or so, but you don't always necessarily see like a lot of stuff that you can't wait to play. And for me, it's kind of like, where do I start? There's so much coming out this year and next year and probably beyond that was actually shown um, that I'm really, really interested in. So for me, it was a great E3. Yeah, last year we were talking so much about hey, 2017 might be one of the best years for video games of all time. Can they keep it up? And the answer is no, because (laughs) games take many years to develop, and it just looked like everyone that was bringing their A game synced up in 2017. Yeah. Um, Which means that there's going to be some off years for them between their next thing and now. There is some great stuff coming out in 2018, but... I think it's fine that this year and and uh, maybe the first half of next year they're just a little lighter. They're a little more, they're a little calmer. They're a little more polite about how they carry themselves <laughs> than the boisterous, bombastic 2017 was. Yes. Um, so with that in mind, I would say this is a it, this is a good E3. It's like middling. I I think there are bad E3s. There have been some, mm. um, actually bad ones, and. That's when you get things that you like thought were for sure you're gonna see, 
or, or when you don't get those things. And I guess there's a little bit of that with like Avengers from Square Enix. I thought we were going to see Final Fantasy VII from Square Enix, uh, Metroid Prime 4 from Nintendo, stuff like there were some notable absences. But... Yeah, although I didn't think we'd see Metroid, but yeah, so that, it is an expectations that... <laughs> thing. Yeah, that that's fine. But at the same time, a lot of what we did expect was still big and was still there. So mm. I can't fault it that much, especially when there's been years in the past where that hasn't even been true. Yeah. Uh, so so good to middle, I, I think. Uh, <laughs> game of the show, I'll just say, mine is Smash Brothers. I'm so excited for Smash Brothers. <laughs> uh, probably not a surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right, well, I'm going to cheat. Uh, my game of the show, personally, is definitely Resident Evil 2 Remake. Okay, yeah. Um, ju- in terms of, like, what is coming up, reasonably soon that i can't wait to play that's the number one for me when is that uh i think it's early 2019 from memory it's feb okay so it's it's not too far away um but i have to say in so i've separated playable non-playable playable resident evil 2 non-playable it is a tie between cyberpunk 2077 and death stranding okay yeah 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 uh, I you just mean non-playable for the people that were there? Yeah, yeah. So stuff that was just shown on video. Um, yeah, that who knows when. Because both of those games, uh, both of them are a long way away. Um, That's so true. even next year's E3, we may see something playable from both of them. Hopefully we do. But even then, I think it's still going to be another, could easily still be another year off after that. So... Yeah, I'm getting really excited for a lot of those games, but just something with the way they feel. I would put Infinite, Halo Infinite, I mean, um, Beyond Good and Evil 2, Cyberpunk's 2077, Death Stranding, all in the same category in that they don't feel real yet. Yeah. Um, I I like everything I'm seeing from almost all of those games. Yeah. but those games are probably PlayStation 5 and Xbox 2. And as much as that's cool, because, you know, that's the future. And really, Cyberpunk 2077, just it just looks like the future, right? Um, yeah, it really does. Not just in the fact that it takes place in the future, but, like, it looks like the future of gaming. Um, it's, I don't know. I can't, I can't get there yet. I, I yeah, that's fair know enough. on it's... a cognitive level that those are very good games. Yeah, but Smash yeah. is coming out this year, so that's <laughs> that's where my excitement is. I will get more excite excited about those games as they happen. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, that was our that was our hot topic. That was a long hot topic. So let's uh let's go ahead and close the show. Uh, if you want to be part of this show, if you want to have your words read aloud on the show, and you are nice to me. You can email your thoughts at podcast at superjumpmagazine.com. Any questions, concerns, comments, uh, anything that starts with a hard K, any of those things, we can can just go ahead and read those on the show. Or if you want, um, if you specify in the email, we will not read them word for word and just answer that thing up to you, anything you want. Um, We're pretty open about that and our scheduling is loose uh so let's jump into our after school activities 
after-school activities are, of course, if you listened to this show before, you'll know that they are the things that we recommend our listeners do between now and the next episode. We are finally out of the E3 cycle, so that means that our next episode, yes, will be in two weeks. And I'll tell you right now, there probably won't be a mid-jump because I'm trying to figure out my microphone issues and any recording I don't have to do is being cancelled. Um, so my after-school activity for my recommendation for the audience is go play the awesome adventures of Captain Spirit. It comes out for free from Don't Nod Entertainment and published by Square Enix. Don't Nod, the creators of... We talked about this earlier. The, the creators of Life is Strange. It is a spin-off of Life is Strange. It's for free on PC, PS4, and Xbox One. You probably definitely have one of those things. Uh, it comes out on Monday of... Well, it's probably already past that Monday that it comes out, if I'm being honest. Um, we're recording it a little bit before that Monday. Uh, I, I haven't played this game. I can't personally vouch for its quality, but everything I've seen of it looks great, and I think we should be sending the message that um, just these little surprises like this, the free things, um, games that are made with a lot of heart that aren't like everything else you see, um, things that are shadow dropped, even though this wasn't quite shadow dropped at E3, um, I, I'd like to send the message that these are very welcome things to do and it is worth it for the publishers to do them. So everyone, if you, if you like, you have some time, go play the awesome adventures of Captain Spirit. James, what is your after-school activity? Uh, totally, totally different topic, this one. Um, so I'm going to recommend a Half-Life 2 commentary by, and, and I don't know what the guy's real name is, but his username is or was Goose Goose. Okay. <laughs> um, he did this kind of famous Half-Life 2 commentary many years ago. It came up on my YouTube feed recently and I nostalgically remembered how much I loved it. And what's interesting about it is um, he is really kind of a self-described non-gamer. Um, he loves Half-Life 2, but he's not really sort of an experienced or hardcore gamer. He talks about being uh, having a background more in, I think it was fine art from memory. Hmm. Uh, he Or or he had an interest in fine art but he also had I can't remember he was he was a working in a lab somewhere or something um I just remember that he he identified with Dr Kleiner very closely um but long and short of it is it's it's a really different take on half-life um it's really well made it's really interesting and one of the things I love about it is he spends quite a bit of time looking at the environmental storytelling in the world of Half-Life 2. And I think even if you've played the game several times, like I have, he notices a lot of little really clever detailed things that I never picked up when I played it. Um, so it's it's kind of great to go back and, and revisit this game because it's such a masterpiece and it just makes me want Half-Life 3. <laughs> <laughs> Which That's is great. probably never happening, so... Yeah. But well so, worth watching. That's our show. 
Our theme song has been Battle Against a Clueless Foe by Shane Meza off of his Mother 4 soundtrack. Please subscribe, review us on iTunes, tell a friend, whatever you, whatever you can do. Find us on Twitter and Facebook and Medium. We're Super Jump Magazine pretty much everywhere. That's been it. Thanks for listening. Stay, Stay super. super.